Our statistics show that the vast majority of them, and I think it's, uh, I think it's closing in on 80% if the number's not there, are coming in from the United States. And quite frankly, that's, that's the biggest problem we have in the city, is the volume of guns that are coming across the border. There you go. That is uh, Chief, Toronto Chief uh, Raymer a couple of weeks back, telling us what we already knew, and that is guns are being brought across the border. It is not about legal gun owners. But the Trudeau government in the last uh, day has announced it's going to be moving ahead with plans to fight gun and gang violence, which, of course, as we all know, is completely out of, of control across the, D the GTHA. And, of course, it's gotten worse since the Trudeau government came in. I mean, that is not certainly to say there haven't been issues before. There have been many issues before. And I've been you know, reporting on gun and gang violence in the city of Toronto since 2000. So there's lots to cover. But what is different now is that it's far more brazen and gangsters just don't care who becomes the collateral damage, you know, whether they're seeking revenge or preventing and protecting their turf. You know, if they shoot up a playground and hit two girls just five and nine, as happened back in 2018, too bad. If they kill a 12-year-old boy out for a walk with his mother as we saw what happened to Dante back in November of 2020. Oh, well. Uh, gangs just don't care. They don't care who they kill. And with the way our politicians are moving and the silly announcements they make, they must just sit there and laugh because they're just becoming further emboldened because Trudeau's plan will absolutely do nothing. It will sound like a plan, and sadly for a lot of people, they'll just eat it up. And that's, you know, good enough for them. But when you look at the legislation, it's this sweeping gun bill. So the Trudeau government's plan for now is to allow uh, municipalities to ban handguns and then allow the federal government to refuse to license handgun owners who live in the city and who intend to store their weapons in their home. Okay. They're also going to do this buyback program of certain assault weapons that they plan to ban, including ones that we don't even have in this country. Look, buyback programs sound great. They make for great pictures on the television. They don't work. They've been done in many, many, many U.S. cities, and sure, they get lots of guns. No question about it. But the data, city to city, shows that those who turn them in then take the money and go out and buy a better gun. And when you look at the costs so far on this buyback program that the Trudeau government's planning to launch. They've already spent $8.8 million on the program. It's not even set up yet. <laughs> like, what are, they, what are they spending this money on? $8.8 million to pay for what? And they've been warned that the number of guns uh, that could be turned in could be 518000 So we're looking at around $756 million bucks, nearly a billion dollars to buy grandpa's old rusty rifle, right? Because that's what's going to happen. The gangbangers aren't going to go trade in their guns. They just rent them out. They like them. They're good. But you'll get lots of old BB guns, whatever. But a buyback program does nothing to stop gangsters because they'll just pull out their illegal gun. They're not going to turn in a illegal gun. No. And, and there's no timeline of when all this happens. But, you know, who cares? 
It doesn't matter because the plan's not going to do anything to stop the violence that in just this year alone is up 35%. And while shooting deaths are down, that just means our hospitals are doing a better job of saving the lives of those shot. But the shootings themselves are up. We're seeing it everywhere, on highways, downtown, uptown. They don't care. They'll pull out their gun wherever. That's what they do. So it's a plan to look like action. But the only one really being penalized here are legal gun owners who have zero to do with the gun violence. Zero. And sadly, the Trudeau government, and, and I can't just blame them because there have been several governments at every level, none of them have a plan to go actually after the problem, which was laid out by the Toronto police chief, which is like a, the worst kept secret. And that is shoring up the borders, or I don't know, maybe going into the areas like reserves in the Canada area where gun exchanges are done all the time in the dark of night. They won't touch that. That's the third rail. They will just turn their, close their eyes and look away. But also nowhere in the plan do we see increased sentences for those caught with guns or who carry out gun crimes or toughening up on the revolving door of bail conditions that still allow people who get caught in gun crimes to go in and out and in and out. And there's no commitment to do the real heavy lifting which is needed in these vulnerable communities which will help stop kids from getting recruited into gangs. So they don't talk about mentorship programs to offer kids hope, you know, so they don't become vulnerable to gang life. I mean, on the surface, gang life can look pretty good if you're living in a low income and you don't have a lot of hope. And I remember back in the day, it had to be around oh, 2004, 2005, when I spoke to a young group of boys in a... a Pretty bad area where gangs were, were known. And these kids said, you know, they got to run home from school. They got to kind of bob and weave and go through so that they don't kind of get caught up with the gangbangers who try to recruit them. So, no, there's, there's no investments into community programs to make sure these young kids are offered a path to success. And you think, for all the money this government's going to spend buying back guns that are not used in any of these gang crimes, imagine what that investment would do in these communities. Because police are just a part of the solution. They can't be the only solution. And sadly, I look back to all, all the police announcements over the years, all these big announcements between multiple levels of government. We're going to invest here. We're putting money to this. We're putting money to that. And then the next government comes in and cancels that and cancels this. And... You think it's been so schizophrenic with our approach that all the promises made to these low-income communities that are pretty much being held hostage by gun crime right now, if they had just sunk the money into them, imagine where they'd be, but they don't because every government's got its own political gain to make. And sadly, you know, we're all paying the price. And so... What's the solution? We'll talk about it. I hope it'll change something, but I, I'm, you know, I mean, just let's get some real talk. Normally, we would go to our top talkers, but we wanted to kind of dive into this issue. Um, certainly in the last week, my producer, Glenn, and I said, you know, let's see what we can get. We had Louis Marshall last week talking about gun crime. And I thought, you know what, let's have a heavier conversation on this. 
It is a Thursday, November 25th. Great to have you here. We normally would go into our top talkers, but we changed things around a little bit because of a conversation we had last week about gun crime. And we thought, you know what, let's have a conversation with people who are actually impacted by gun crime. And gun crime, as I was just talking about, is up 35% across the GTHA. And what used to shock us now is just met with a shrug and then the predictable hollow promises from politicians who announce solutions that in no way will stop the killings, will not stop the shooters, will not stop gangsters from pulling guns out wherever they want. And it certainly doesn't give hope to the communities who are forced to live between shots firing. And so we wanted to bring in three different people who all have a very distinct voice and who've all been impacted and touched by gang and gun violence. You know Louis March, who comes on to this show. He is the founder of Zero Gun Violence Movement. He's spent decades volunteering and activating, um, advocating against guns and gangs, so I'm glad to have you, Louis. Then, of course, we have Evelyn Fox, who I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the last couple of years, but sadly, not for the right reasons. Um, her son was killed by a stray bullet when a fight broke out in Liberty Village back in September 26. And Keisinger's case is still unsolved. And we've got Marcel William Wilson, who is a leader of one of the larger street gangs in the Toronto area for 15 years, and who has spent time in jail, who's had been shot a couple of times, and who now operates a company called the One by One Movement, which works to reduce extreme acts of violence in Toronto and curb negative lifestyles using... You know, teams of former neo-Nazis, mob, hitmen, Al-Qaeda, and gang members to get people back on track. I welcome all of you to this uh, show. Thanks so much for giving us your time. Thanks, Alex. Good to be here. Thanks, Alex. Thank you for having me. Let me, let me start with you, Evelyn, because oftentimes, you, you know, people need to see the face of this, of who it impacts. And generally, when the news release goes out, it's just a name and a bunch of police talk. But behind every press release of a murder victim in the city of Toronto, Hamilton, wherever, there's a family that's shattered. And your son, mm-hmm. killed in 2016, case is still unresolved. And, and I mean, I, I know you because every time there's a shooting, it rattles you. And so mm-hmm. you are the face of how gun violence is ravaging the city. Mm-hmm. Yep. My son, and it's, his name is Kissinger. <laughs> <laughs> um, we was killed outside of a club in 2016, and I'm actually very public about how it has impacted myself and my family, um, just because I don't think people really realize the devastation it causes. Like they hear, like you said, they hear a, a blurb about it on the TV. They might see a mother crying when they're talking about their child, but once the media goes away, we still have to live with the, the impact of what's occurred. We still have to go through the various realities of, the, of our child not being there anymore and then being taken by somebody else's hand. Then there's people like me who have no witnesses that want to come forward. I still don't have any form of closure And it just compounds. And I'm not saying that people who go through the court system, they have any closure because they probably don't. 
but at least they have someone who's being held accountable for that act. And I've seen firsthand how even the families are treated by the perpetrators' families in the court system mm-hmm. and how they're treated by the justice system overall. Like, victims are constantly put through more trauma as they even go through the justice system. This entire process sure. has been mm-hmm. horrifying. Yeah. Yeah, that's... The justice system is not about, uh, you know, anything or justice for those left behind. It really is about the accused and making sure that they get a fair trial. And so you do, you get further ripped apart and alienated and left behind. And still to this day, Evelyn, you're fighting, fighting yeah. hard to make sure that the reward to find his killer um, is 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 kept out there. And so the fight never stops. Meanwhile, you're trying to deal with loss. Right. Right. Let me bring in Marcel, because Marcel, you live this life. You're on the other side of this life, and yet you've paid your dues to society. I mean, you live the life in gang, and you have now come out of that. But maybe you can speak um, to what the lure is, because I've spoken to young black men. You know, why, why do you get involved, or how do you avoid getting it? And, and I remember a conversation with a bunch of 12- and 13-year-olds, and they said, well, you know, they recruit us, and so we have to kind of run home from school um, you know, we don't want to get involved, but, you know, th- there is something that draws them in or maybe they're forced in. But how what is the lure for gangster life? Um, for, well, in my era, it was definitely a completely different animal. Um, you know, every day the space or the reason for why people uh, are drawn uh, change. In my day, it was more of an escape from poverty. Um, it was a sense of belonging. Uh, you know, there's usually issues in the home, things along those lines. So you're constantly kind of searching for that new family. What we're finding these days, um, there's, a, you know, the, the biggest draw would be clout, that you want to have a name, a reputation, want to fear, uh, which is completely different from when I joined. Right, because now it's um, it's almost right in the open. It's almost like gangsters today. I mean, they put it right out there on the internet. I mean, they kind of egg each other on. They threaten each other. Uh, they don't really have any care about who sees it or who they're fighting with. I mean, they, they I mean, they just don't seem uh, worried about the consequences and rather emboldened. And that wasn't the case when you were involved in this life. Absolutely, absolutely. And and as it as it mutates, I think you know we need to start calling it what it is. Um, from my understanding, what gangsterism always was, the ideology behind it was capital gain. You, know, you were doing it to make money to make your situation better. Where now, it seems many of the young people who are involved in gangs are simply trying to enforce, create terror. Um, so I think we're, it's, it's starting to lean more towards extremism uh, than gangsterism. Interesting. Can you just elaborate on that a little bit? I mean, are you talking about the fact that gangsters today are working with different levels, whether it's you know through money laundering or human trafficking, all that stuff, or is there more to it than just you know drugs, guns, and the trafficking and all the rest of it? Is there? Go ahead. 
Yeah, no, no, that's exactly what I'm saying. That you know, the ideology mm-hmm. is is capital gains. That keeps it. Yeah. That keeps you, you know, in the realm of being a gangster. But when you take that away, you remove that and and kill, and you you create panic and terror for the simple reason just to create panic and terror. I don't, I don't understand as a former gangster myself, I, I don't understand what that is. So we have to start re re identifying what, what, what we're calling gangsterism. Right. Louis, let me bring you into this conversation because you have spent decades volunteering and advocating coming to Mothers uh, like Evelyn, um, letting them a shoulder, um, and there are countless mothers out there whose sons are killed, or even kids are killed um, by collateral bullets going off. I mean, you, you've dedicated your life. Do you ever remember a time, Louis, when you actually felt like progress was being made? Thanks for having me back, Alex. Uh, sometimes it's one step forward, two steps backward, and. Uh, that's the thing that's frustrating about this, is that Toronto is an incredible, resourceful city. We're internationally acclaimed in so many categories. People from around the world always have this dream about moving to Toronto. When we put our mind to things, we normally solve them, whether it's, you know, whether it's transportation, whether it's housing, whether it's opioid, when we when we put our mind to things, Alex, we know myself. We've never put our mind to gun violence. We've never put our best foot forward. And because we've never put our best foot forward, gun violence, gang violence has been allowed to manifest and grow into realms that we never had before. Right. The tokenism. Just, just, yeah. The tokenism. I was just going to say to Marcel's point. You know what? What is your um, you know, how do you see the changes in gang violence that, that weren't necessarily um, around a few years ago? One of the main things, and this is from speaking to Marcel and other people, right, is that there used to be codes right. in gangs. Who would carry a gun? Who would shoot the gun? What circumstances? And it was usually the last resort because people in that lifestyle didn't want to bring heat or attention to their neighborhood, to their business. So they tried to keep it to a minimum. Whereas today, it's uh, it's flipped. Marcel spoke about, you know, uh, terrorism. It's about creating maximum damage now, maximum hurt, maximum pain, so that they can glorify through social media what they've been able to accomplish. Normally, like it's an eye for an eye. Now it's three eyes for one eye. Who can out-violent each other? So if there's a shooting in one neighborhood with one person, the retaliation is not one for one. No, it's two and three for one. So there's an escalation taking place. The young people that are more involved now are not driven or, or, or regulated by, by, by codes. In fact, they glorify in fact that they, there's no codes. They can do whatever they want whenever they want thinking that they'll never be caught. The access to guns. Previously, previously, it used to be handguns, Alex. You didn't even know if the handgun would work. You could borrow, lend it, rent it, uh, and there was one and two in a neighborhood. Alex, today there's one and two 
and each, each person has one or two, and it's semi-automatic. So these are the things that are changing right in front of us. It's right. morphing right in front of us. And this is why it aggravates me when I see the politicians continue to use the same narratives, the same prescriptions that they used 20 years ago. You right. cannot be a doctor and make a prescription on a patient when you don't understand the problem. And this exactly. is frustrating. So we, we have the resources and means. And I think that at times there's advocates or there's champions in the political arena. But we're not making the progress that I know that we can make, Alex. I'm Alex Pearson. Thank you for being with us. We're having a conversation about gang violence and what the actual solution is. And we're talking to people who have been directly impacted by it. We've got Evelyn Fox, whose son Kissinger was shot and killed in gun violence. Marcel Wilson, who was once leader of a large street gang, who's now trying to help others get out and make for positive change. And of course, Louis Marsh, who you know on this show, who's been volunteering for decades to get change. Evelyn, I want to talk to you because every time there is a shooting or a a spate of shootings that we hear about, I know that it really takes you back to that night in September when Kissinger was killed. So, you know, when you hear the politicians talk, I'm sure at one point you may have had some hope, but what goes through your mind? Um, and, and, and I know that other community mothers like yourself have the same, like what goes through your mind when you hear the announcements coming from the politicians? Do you have any hope now or is it a feeling of anger? Sometimes I just feel like I'm... I'm wasting my time. Like I'm, I'm wasting all my energy, the little bit of energy that I can muster to keep going. I feel like I'm just wasting my time because everything that I'm talking about is falling on deaf ears. And when, like you said, like when I first started advocating for change, I, I was hopeful. I thought, you know, I was, I was getting meetings with all these politicians from every level of government. And I felt like, you know, maybe they're going to listen, maybe they're genuinely invested and they're going to hear my story and they're going to understand or at least try to understand that there's just so much trauma in these neighborhoods and so much trauma from people witnessing, like the ripple effect is crazy. So I thought if I just kept talking and talking, people would, would have some type of empathy and understand that there's things that need to be done on the ground level that have never been done before. But it seemed like every time I turned around, it was more about what what I could do for them versus what they could do for us. And I just eventually stopped talking to the politicians altogether just because it was it seems so futile. Like you it's been five years now and we still are nowhere forward. Five years mm-hmm. could have had a significant impact in the communities if they had just invested the money into the communities from the beginning when I first started talking. But all they keep right. doing is pumping money into the police, pumping money into the police, bring more police, bring more police. In 2009, they increased the police presence across Toronto. And in 2019, sorry, and in 2019, we had the highest number of shootings since 2014. So at what point in time are they going to actually look at the statistics, hear the voices of the survivors, hear the voices of the victims, 
and the people who work with all these people to to understand that this is something that we can't and even the police the police are saying we cannot police our way out of this how 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 many more people do they need to to scream from the rooftops for them to to actually invest where it needs to be invested right and Marcel, to, to Evelyn's point, I mean, the police are only part of the solution. There has been a lot of debate about the issue of carding, and then when you know, it was taken away, crime got worse. Do you believe there is a role for intelligence gathering? I mean, what what in your mind does the solution um, look like? Um, <clears throat> of course, there's 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 a role for policing in society. You know, it would be archaic if uh, the police weren't out there doing their job, but. A lot of people have the misunderstanding that it's the police job to prevent these these sorts of things. So when there's announcements made that the police are getting more money and things along those lines, people get excited and there's a false sense of hope because the police are paid to react. Um, the police are there to arrest the criminals after the crime has been committed. What we need to do, and like myself, Evelyn uh, Louis March has been saying for a long time, is we need to focus on the root causes of these issues. Community members need to be involved in, in not just in implementing these developed programs, they need to be involved in the development of these programs. They need to be at the planning tables for these programs because no one understands our communities better than us. So mm -hmm. right. we need to put more focus on, on the people that can make real change, which are the people who come live and, and interact physically um, right. with with these communities. Yeah, because, Louis, we've talked a lot, and we'll go back and forth on the phone. I'll say, were you involved in this meeting? And you'll say, no, of course not. They don't talk to the people who are in the community. But we do hear this word root cause. What is the root cause? I mean, combating this kind of violence is not going to go away overnight. I mean, this is decades of investment, not just in the police, but in the actual communities. And so had they just started doing this, and I think to myself that the year 2005, the summer of the gun, uh, it was called, if they had started making those investments even back then, we may be in a totally different position today. Exactly, exactly. Like, they, Evelyn, what was the name of the report by uh, Alvin Curling and, his, uh, and uh, McMurtry? The Roots of the roots Violence. Of violence. Mm -hmm. How many recommendations was in there, Evelyn? Yeah. I believe it was over 13. Recommendations. And Alex, not one of them mm -hmm. has been implemented. John Tory wrote a report, correct me if I'm wrong, Evelyn, 2006, 2007. Seven. Yeah, he was the provincial leader of the concert, uh, PC party yes, back then. Yeah. Yes, and he yep. came up with a report, and I think he came up with 60 recommendations. And all the recommendations that he made, maybe it's not 60, uh, but he made a lot of recommendations. Not one of them has he implemented in terms of dealing with the issue. We have a premier. Well, I think we all know. I think we all know that reports and inquests and inquiries are all fantastic for the politicians, but, but what they are not good at is actually is revealing there. or changing things. Pardon no, me. The roadmap is out there. They know what they need to do. They just don't have yep. the political will to do it. Right? Look, the first thing that Doug Ford did when he became premier was he took twenty-five million dollars out of after-school programming for youth. And he gave it to the police. The police said, we can't police ourselves out of the problem. We need community. Those kids that were in those programs, where do you think they went? 
Does anybody ask mm-hmm. that question? To the street. Yeah. Look, I'm not a rocket scientist, Alex. We have a problem. They came up with $75 million last, last week, over three years. And I'm looking at the press release. Alex, they did not mention community once in that press release. They did not mention... No, I know. We talk, and they didn't talk about jobs. They didn't talk about no. mentorship. Which... Right. And so, Marcel, to, to those this, points this, this that Louis... This is where the solution lies. This is where the solution lies. Right. And they're, they're not... Like, like, how can you be so blind? It's like they're willfully blind to what needs to be done. And they're getting away with it. Indeed, they are. Um, but, Marcel, I mean, t- to Louis's point, um, you know, these kids that have mentorship programs or who have people in the community they can look up to, whether that's you or someone else, if those aren't available... Um, they will turn turn to gangs. But can you stop it? I mean, how do you reach a young man or, or woman who's being pressured into this life? I mean, can you stop it before they start? Or how hard is it to get them out of it without their own, um, you know, safety being put at risk? It's absolutely doable. I'll give you an example. Last week, um, I, I put a post on our social media where on October 6th, a young man reached out to my organization uh, via social media. Because we're undersourced, because we're understaffed, we were late getting back to this young man. November 13th, this young man, his face is, is you know, on television as a wanted person. And this, this broke me. You know, the, the, the work that, that we do, the, the amounts of people that reach out to us asking for help, uh, and these are people that would be deemed, you know, uh, gang members, associates, affiliates, etc. They reach out. We talk to them regularly, mm-hmm. daily. And to see this young man's face, I responded back to him. And I, and I asked for his forgiveness um, for us failing him. And I explained why we feel that this happened. Because we're undersourced. Because we, we're not getting the support that some others do. And I ask and, and let me just step in there, Marcel. Can I just ask you, just uh, for my own uh, knowledge and the listeners, if you were able to get the contact of a gangster who calls you and says, look, I need help getting out, is there no relationship that you or others have with the police that you can work together to say, look, we've got one who wants out? I mean, we have this for sex trafficking. You know, we're setting up places where women can escape or people in that life can escape. But why don't we have it? You know, we get gangsters out of gangs. Well, fortunately, we do. And and the thing is, you know, the, the, the key to that is that we don't necessarily need the police to do it, um, especially u- utilizing our methodology. People think there's only two ways out, you know, right. death or prison. And what we've managed to do, by example, you know, that the proof is in, is in our existence, is that we have found a third way out, that you can get out with your honor intact and most since up to up to now um you know do positive for the community without having to worry about looking over your shoulder uh, and and worrying about retaliation the only things you really have to deal with are you know the crimes that you committed uh uh, potentially coming back and 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 biting you you know that's a reality that we can't get, get around or escape but it's possible. We do it every day. And we track this data. We track this information. It's just, as, as Evelyn said, as Louis said, it seems like no one is listening. No one cares. 
I'm always ruled by the clock. I could literally keep this conversation going for an hour, but uh, sadly, I don't have that liberty. I want to give some uh, opportunity for you to give your final thoughts. Evelyn, I want to ask you, um, you know, do you believe you will ever get justice for your son Kissinger? I pray that I will, um, but I really, I really don't know. That's a tough place to live. Mm-hmm. It's a very tough place to live. Marcel, uh, what would you want young people um, who might not feel the hope uh, and live in the fear of these gangs, what would you want them to know? I'd want them to know that there are people out there that are trying, that are, that are there to help them. Um, there needs to be more more information, more knowledge out there of the existence of these groups, and that this is not just a marginalized person problem. This is not just a black person problem. This is a Torontonian problem, an Ontarian problem, a Canadian problem. Yeah, I tend to agree with everything you've said. And Louis, you know, given that you're kept out of these meetings with those politicians, um, what's the message you want to send to them? What does the solution look like? The solution, the solution looks like we cannot, we have to replace police first with community first in our solutions. It cannot only be the police first, the police only option. We have to insert community in a meaningful and tangible way. We need to do massive investment in these communities where we know that Mm -hmm. the, uh, the violence, the poverty is rampant and violence has become normalized. Let's do massive investments in these communities. Like, Sometimes it's a five-year, ten-year plan that, that is, we need to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need economic activity. We need employment opportunities in these actual communities themselves. You go into these communities at night, Alex, and all the lights are out. Everybody's at home. Everybody's yeah. afraid to come out. We need to bring those communities to life. Back bring to some life. Yeah. activity into them so that the children, the youth, the parents can feel this is, this is the best place to live in, in the city of Toronto. This is what we need to do. Three voices, three different perspectives, all touched by gang violence. Can't thank you enough, and uh, we'll continue this conversation. Evelyn, I know this is never easy for you. I thank you so much for joining me uh, tonight. Marcel Wilson, I I thank you for your uh, fascinating perspective. The group, by the way, is called One by One Movement, if you want to look into that. And Louis, you're always uh, coming on this show, so I appreciate very much you uh, coming in with your voice on this. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for having me, Alex. Thanks for having me. There you go. Politicians can easily get these perspectives. I just don't understand why they don't. But again, we'll continue the conversation. Stay with us. Alex Pearson on point, and this is Global News Radio.